0: of Feeding the Flock, and our expositions through the book of Revelation. We are currently in chapter 2 at verse 18. Hi, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today for this Bible study. Let's begin reading at verse 18 of chapter 2 in the book of Revelation, where it says this, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this, I know your deeds, and your love, and faith, and service, and perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, Who calls herself a prophetess. And she teaches and leads my bondservants astray. So that they commit acts of immorality. And eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent. And she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness. And those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. Unless... They repent of her deeds, and I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also received authority from my father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit says to the churches. So we find ourselves on the uh, fourth letter to the fourth church that uh, Jesus has told uh, John to write to, and uh, Jesus is dictating these words uh, directly to John. And uh, this is a little bit different, you might say than than general uh, revelation that is refi- received by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in other epistles and other places in the in the New Testament. But here, uh, Jesus dictates this to this fourth church. And this one is called Thyatira. That's the, uh, uh, that's the city in which it, uh, resides. And, and what's interesting is that this is now the fourth one. Now there's three more to come and, uh, those are recorded in chapter three. So we'll get to those, uh, later. But, uh, So far, we have uh, covered the uh, letter to the church at Ephesus, the church at Smyrna, the church at Pergamum. And Pergamum, by the way, is the furthest north in this circle of churches, you might call it. Uh, It's not exactly a circle, but it is a route uh, that uh, is supposedly... um, uh, taken by some postal workers of that day, when they would deliver uh, packages and uh, letters and other kind of things uh, to uh, to various people, they would cover this uh, kind of a route. And yet, uh, here Jesus. Chooses to address these particular churches along that route in a special way, and he. um, What's interesting is these. Some of these are not even prominent churches. We don't know anything about them except what is written here in this in this uh, particular book uh, about those particular churches. Uh, And so um, we conclude that there must be a grander or maybe a broader purpose of why uh, Jesus chose to write to these particular seven churches and in the order in which he chose them. Uh, some of them are quite uh, uh, unknown in many regards, and this is one of them. Uh, the city itself is known for uh, several things, but uh, otherwise uh, the church is not known uh, that much and uh, except for what we have here. And uh, we believe that uh, these things in these letters to these seven churches Form a sort of a structure or sort of a, a prediction about the phases of the church at large, not individual churches per se. Even though these were individual churches that Jesus uh, was addressing here, and uh, and yet uh, uh, they seem to lay out a pattern, a scheme that we might be able to detect. In church history, as far as uh, considering the global church is concerned, that means Ephesus was the op- apostolic church. That meant uh, that this is the church on earth controlled or managed or overseen by uh, the apostles and their designated uh, um, uh, servants, and uh, those designees carried on that authority. And yet, uh, the authority of the apostles themselves were was not. Uh, carried Carried on otherwise, and was not dictated or 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 distributed to uh, a, a next generation or a ne- or a following generation of apostles. So, in many regards, the the church at Ephesus is a is a single generation type of uh, uh, experience. And then, along about uh, A.D. sixty seven, came formal uh, persecution uh, from the government of Rome itself, not just individual persecution. Persecution or uh, local provinces erupting, persecuting uh, 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 Christians or churches uh, or uh, local cities, but this became a, a, a grander policy in in Rome, and uh, that uh, is represented by the letter to Smyrna, and then came Pergamum, which which was quite a worldly church in many regards, uh, if you want to call it that, and. Um, they were very highly influenced by by uh, worldly ideas about doing ministry about about professional ministry about uh, um looking to the wrong people for uh, prophecies and uh, that sort of thing. And uh, they were following the wrong structures. And, and so they became a worldly church. And then Thyatira, uh, this church has its strengths as we see here. And they are very strong in their love and faith and service and perseverance. And their deeds uh, are numerous. In fact, their deeds keep coming and they keep growing in more and more deeds to do but uh in many regards this could actually represent uh, what we would call the Rome church or the papal church and that uh was basically around 590 um and uh that's when it sort of uh, congealed together you might say and um uh, and became uh, that kind of a, of a church. And yet there is a weakness in th- this church at Thyatira. Now, later on, we'll uh, talk about uh, uh, the letter to the church of Sardis, and that seems to represent the uh, Protestant Reformation church. And then the church at Philadelphia, which seems to represent the revival church. And um, that was uh, uh, in about 1730 or so. And then there is the apostate church, which actually started its growth or started its its um, uh, origination, you might say, um, it's the Laodicean church and the, uh, the apostate church began somewhere around the 1900s or so. You can't put exact dates on any of this because it, it more has to do with certain trends and certain trends that began to monopolize the church at large, the global church. But in the meantime, let's get into this particular individual church. Church and its letter because it gives us an idea about Jesus' expectation and what was going on in that church. The, uh, the uh, city of Thyatira was was founded by one of Alexander the Great's generals. Uh, uh, the general's name was uh, Seleucus, and uh, he, he founded this as a military outpost. It was later ruled by Lassimachus. Um, uh, for the Greek Empire, you might say, and uh, there was a special temple to Apollo in this town. It was also the home of a lot of trade guilds or union guilds, you might say, for textiles and dyes and um, and many many other skills of the, of the trades. Uh, but uh, there's one that's kind of. Prominent or well known to many people, and that is in Acts chapter 16, verses 14 and 15. There's a lady by the name of Lydia that is named, and she is named from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshipper of God. That means the God of Israel, and uh, she is led to the Lord, and uh, they uh, 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 she uh, becomes the hostess for uh, Paul and his team uh, in that particular. Place in Acts chapter sixteen. She has she is like a traveling uh, uh, professional lady that uh, that uh, sells her uh, dyed uh, uh, garments and uh, dyed cloths, and she's known for that. So that's the only one uh, that we might say we we know for sure from that particular city. So he says he says he's the son of God. This is Jesus' description of himself. This. This continues on this same kind of pattern uh, as he has done in all the other letters so far, and will continue to do. He describes himself as the Son of God. And um, there is one place in John chapter eleven, verse four, where he calls himself the Son of God." Now and, and uh, many people uh, say, "Well, Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God, but he does in uh, John chapter eleven and verse four. and then there's an exchange of a conversation in Matthew 26, where um, where they actually pin him to the wall, you might say, and say, "You are uh, tell us whether or not you are the Christ, the Son of God." Claiming to be the Messiah is equivalent to claiming to be the Son of God, according to their own theology. And Jesus said, uh, "You have said it yourself." So you see, Jesus doesn't have to repeat it. Why? Because they said it, and so it's. Nevertheless, I tell you hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power. Now, this sounds like Jesus is is, uh, giving them a different title. Well, he is in many regards because it's called the Son of Man rather than the Son of God, and yet it's the same person. Why? Because it says in verse 65 of Matthew 26, he has blasphemed. Why does it say he has blasphemed? Because all these titles are synonyms of other. Each other and they understood completely what Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah the Son of God, the Son of Man all uh, composed in one person and um, and uh, they in fact uh, say in verse 66 that he deserves death in uh, Matthew 26. Uh, besides that, there is the Psalm, uh, chapter 2, verse 7, where where uh, God is speaking to the Messiah, and he says, uh, you are my son today, I have begotten you. And uh, that uh, verse is quoted in uh, various places in the New Testament, Matthew and Mark, and in uh in Hebrews, it says, in these last days, uh, God has spoken to us in his son. In m- many regards, uh, because God used this, uh, this term at his baptism, um, says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Then in many regards, Jesus didn't have to say it that much. Uh, the father has affirmed that title with him, and that's exactly who he is. And notice he is used, using the same descriptions that came from the first chapter that is eyes like flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze he has authority he has the authority to judge he sees things that other people can't see and therefore he has the authority to judge these things we'll be back right after this musical break Welcome back Let's continue on in Revelation chapter 2 And he says in verse 19 The Son of God says this, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. So this church is growing in many regards, and it's growing in all of these qualities that you want to see in a church. And um, now it it still is not a perfect church because Jesus has some things against them. But uh, uh, you might say their stewardship uh, that uh, Jesus gives to them is their service. And, um, so they have love and faith and service and perseverance and deeds, and they're continuing to do deeds and find more deeds to do and um, more, more things to accomplish uh, for Jesus' sake. And yet, on the other hand, he says in verse 20, uh, but I have this against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bond servants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idol. So uh, so we don't know, uh, perhaps this woman actually does have uh, the name Jezebel, Um, and maybe she goes by that name, or maybe uh, Jesus is using that name because he knows that it brings up the memory of uh, another Jezebel in the Old Testament, a a wicked woman who uh, led the nation of Israel into idolatry and not just idolatry in worshiping uh, uh, objects or worshiping uh, figures or or, uh, statuettes or statues, uh, but rather uh, she led them, uh, the, their idolatry led them also into immorality uh, as a connected to, a, it connected to the the worship of these idols. And so um, uh, this immorality was a part of that. The sexual uh, side was, was a part of the worship of these gods and of these idols. And so that is exactly what uh, some of these Christians evidently uh, in this church, uh, whether they were actually actually born again or not we don't know but they were actually being influenced uh by this prophetess and uh, that's what she's calling herself and um, and so they were following after her. What's interesting is is uh, the progress of the the deterioration of some of these churches. Uh, Ephesus, uh, it says that uh, Ephesus hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans, so they rebuffed any attempt of this authority, uh, this extra authority that they didn't need. Uh, and Pergamum uh, had some who held the doctrine of Balaam and the deeds of the Nicolaitans, so. There was a minority of, of a group, you might say, in the church at uh, uh, Pergamon who seems to follow their doctrine and follow their practices. But now at Thyatira, uh, they tolerate the evil. Of this, uh, this woman, and uh, evidently she claims to have uh, perhaps supernatural powers. Uh, it doesn't necessarily say that, but it does say that she claims to be a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bond servants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. What's interesting is those two activities are... Um, uh, are are exactly the things that uh, the Jerusalem Council told the churches, the Gentile churches, not to do. Don't tamper with these things, and uh, and yet that is exactly what they were doing at Thyatira. They were tampering with idolatry. They were tampering with immorality. This sexual worship of a, of a foreign god. And uh, look at verse twenty one. He he says, Jesus says this. Uh, I gave her time to repent. That's exactly exactly according to Jesus's character, um, that, uh, he, he allowed some time, uh, he, he desired her to repent and yet she did not. And those who followed her, uh, he calls them to repent. Now the original, uh, Jezebel, um, was a harlot and that's exactly what, uh, uh, what it says in Jeremiah chapter 3 uh, verse 6 it says uh, she was a harlot and uh, and uh, God says I thought after she has done all these things she will return to me and he's he's speaking of of the nation of Israel Israel and he says that they went after this harlot they went uh, they became harlots themselves by going after her and worshiping her gods and uh, it says in verse 8 of that time uh, it says after she had Done all these things, she will return to me, but she did not return, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. So now, not only the northern tribes, but the uh, southern tribe of Judah also uh, followed after her in doing some of the same things. And verse 8 of uh, Jeremiah chapter 3 And I saw that for all the adulteries of faithless Israel, I had sent her away and given her a writ of divorce, yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear but she went and was a harlot also because of the likeness of her ho- idolatry. She polluted the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. Those are the idols. Those are the objects of the idols. Uh, they may have been carved into likenesses of those gods, but they were still nothing more in God's eyes as worshiping stones and trees. And it says in uh, verse 10 of uh, Jeremiah chapter 3, Yet in spite of all this, her treacherous sister, Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but rather in deception declares the Lord. So the nation of Israel became suspect or or, became uh, uh, susceptible, (laughs) that's the word I'm looking for, to this very same sin hundreds of years before, and now this church is becoming susceptible as well, and they are following after this wicked woman who uh, makes a lot of claims and uh, yet uh, allows for this sexual immorality uh, to be a part of the worship, and now it's a part of this religious exercise, and somehow it got mixed in with uh, these people version of Christianity, uh, which is sad. And it says, I gave her time to repent. Um, you see, according to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And we might want to wonder why God d- did not and does not put a stop to some things that we know are evil and wicked and all. Awful, and yet he chooses not to uh, to do things immediately because sometimes he understands that there is time to be allowed for repentance. And that's exactly what uh, Jesus says here. But he doesn't, she, he says in uh, verse 21, but she does not want to repent of her immorality. But behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness. You see, she is accustomed to the bed of adultery. She's accustomed to the bed of, uh, of whoredom. But, uh, she is now going to be thrown on the bed of sickness. That will be her disciplinary action and her, and with her, um, those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. This may be a reference to the fact that that those who follow her completely uh, will be a part of of something very, very tragic. And those who uh, merely follow after her as her children, uh, this may, probably doesn't refer to uh, her actual uh, uh, children or a- as if she had little ones running around. This refers to those who follow her, those who uh want to adopt her uh, doctrines and her her practices says and i i will kill her children with pestilence and so there will be a disciplinary action against those who follow her and uh, those who want to bring her into the church as some sort of uh um, addition to uh, the religion of the church, and um, and uh, he he says this will not be tolerated. Uh, th- there will be discipline, and all the churches will know that I am He who searches the minds and hearts. Uh, Jesus is the one who knows the internal. Uh, parts of, of human's motivations. And uh, he knows that uh, sometimes the outward appearance, uh, it doesn't tell you the whole story. And he knows where to judge. He knows who to judge. And he knows how best to make those judgment and those disciplines carry out. And in fact, it's a little bit ironic that the discipline is completely consistent with the sin involved. And uh and uh, it says then, it says and uh he says, He who searches the hearts and minds, and I will give to each one according to your deeds. And so this isn't a determination to to figure out who goes to heaven and who doesn't go to heaven this is those this is a judgment of those who are following this wicked idolatry and this immorality uh, and uh, their judgment is only by degrees now according to their deeds and um, so uh, if uh, a person is is judged as as uh being, uh, uh, unsaved or uh, going to hell, there still may be a, a division between the deeds that they have committed. And some are not judged nearly as much as others. It doesn't make them saved. It just means they will experience a different level. And, um, the same way with those who are saved perhaps. And it says here though, it says, uh, I will give to each one according to your deeds. And so it says in verse 24, but I say to you the rest who are in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan as they are, as they call them. You see, somehow they got all wrapped up into, into this exposure, this willful exposure to following what this woman claimed to be the deep things of Satan. You've got to understand the enemy and the things. Deeper level, and uh, that is not the way to have victory over the enemy, and. Um Uh, You don't go into his deep things and then call it being spiritual or being uh, religious or or being more Christian. That just doesn't work that way. He says, I I place no other burden on you. So he says, uh, those who do not follow this track and uh, who stay true to me and to my word, I do not put anything else on you. He says, nevertheless... Uh, what you have, hold fast until I come. He who overcomes he will, uh, and who keeps my, my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. He shall rule with them with a rod of iron as the vessels of a potter are broken to pieces as I also have received authority from my father and I will give him the morning star. You see, those true believers who are faithful to Christ in the face of all this temptation, they themselves will reign with Christ one day. They will share his glory. They will have seats of judgment uh, designated by him, and they will share in that judgment. They will share in that ruling class, you might say, uh, with, uh, with, uh, with Jesus himself. And he says, uh, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So not only are they, will they one day be designated as uh, co uh, um, Co authority with the Lord Jesus Himself and will serve many nations uh, in His kingdom. But He says, You will have the morning star. You will have me shining upon you and shining within you. And uh, if you have an ear, if you're listening at all, then you listen to this. Listen to the words of what the Son of God says. And uh, and that you hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the churches. That's, that's the way that Jesus addresses each one of these, uh, even though it's to each specific church, yet... It is to individual believers as well. Anyone who's listening, uh, and to any uh, uh, what he's saying to the churches at large, and that is our response: is is to him in obedience, so that we follow him, and we're not distracted by these other spiritual endeavors that look spiritual. Look deep, perhaps. Look like they are doing something on a supernatural level, and yet they are not serving Christ at all. They are diluting the truth of Christ, diluting his work, diluting his authority, and instead we need to be true to him, faithful to him, and he will not give us any more burdens than that. Thank you, Father, for these moments together thank you for your words, your words of truth, your words of stark reality, your words of discipline that strike us very odd and that they are part of what you are, of judging wickedness and sin and idolatry. And thank you, Father, that we who are faithful to you can find you in the end and reign with you in your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock.